me. I am sorry. <laughs> I can mute my text messages. This is literally a text that says, what kind of pizza? So, hold on. Flint! <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I am your host, Margie Zarcone, and I am joined today, who I am meeting for the first time and so excited, Emerson F.D., who has written a new play called Deeper Alexandria that we are lucky enough to be premiering on January 27th on Standby for Places. Thank you so much for joining me, Emerson. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> um, without giving too much away, can you give me a little synopsis of what we can expect from Deeper Alexandria for those of us who were not lucky enough to read it, I was lucky <laughs> enough to read it, but... <laughs> Thank you. Um, absolutely. So uh, it is a play about two characters named George and Martha, and uh, they're both computer programs, artificial intelligences. Um, George is being taught something. Uh, as to what it is, I'll leave that up to you to find out. But um, essentially what we have here is a conversation between two people who aren't people and know that they aren't people, but are still desperately trying to access that deep human condition so they can get an understanding of how to interact with people. There's a certain couple of shifts that happen in the play where they realize that they're capable of more and then are encountered with this decision whether or not to lean into the more or whether to go back to someplace safe and, you know, doable. But that, I mean, that is one of the most human experiences of all time. Do yeah. I come to the edge and, you know, put myself out of my comfort zone or, or do I retreat emotionally, physically? So it's interesting to see this play out with two AI. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I love watching them make decisions. I love it. It's so much fun. A lot of this play came from um, growing up on the internet, I would say, as well. Because um, that's, that's, I feel like that's a phenomenon that is becoming so, so, so common within our generation. Um, like, I didn't have a lot of friends when I was a kid. I just played a ton of Zoo Tycoon and watched a bunch of Homestar Runner. And kind of wished I was deeply ingrained sort of in that technological space. Without adding myself too much here, um, I've been through a lot of therapy in my time. Um, and there's something kind of... Oh, me too, Emerson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sixth like, grade? Oh, God, yeah. You're right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's something so liberating about the concept of not having to deal with all this emotion stuff. Um, and... I don't know. I, I, there's, there's something kind of liberating about writing a script that takes all the murkiness that normally happens and just throwing it away. But the absence of that kind of brings in new murkiness. It's just, it's, 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 it's a different kind of specificity, I think. There are a lot of big themes. Yes. In this play. Mm -hmm. um, did you draw inspiration from, I know I just finished watching Westworld ah. and big fan of Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. uh, this concentration on artificial in intelligence and how it intersects with our humanity has been a recurring theme in recent pop, cu pop culture. Is this something, yeah. it, you seem very on the pulse with it. <laughs> um, oh, I appreciate that. Um, 
I would say uh, this, this artificial intelligence and searching for what it would be kind of came from um, watching a ton of Black Mirror and going from a position of, oh my God, this is the most intense, powerful stuff I have ever seen. Wow, it really says so much about our society to, oh yeah, you know, it's phones. They're, they're, out, they're out to kill us, whatever. So we'll, we'll deal with them. And just the, this, this idea of we're working with these things that could be completely benevolent, could be completely 100% out to throw up a matrix or something. Mm -hmm. But what, what, what do you get when it just, they, they just want to understand and do their job, essentially. When you get two artificial intelligences talking to each other, you get this interesting, interesting loop because both of them desperately want to carry on this conversation regardless of what's being said. If you get to a point where, I don't know, you lay down a giant paragraph, this, I definitely did this in my research, a giant oversherry paragraph in there, they're not going to assess much of it at all. They just want to get you to say the next thing and so on and so forth. So I, I, I kind of leaned into that for this. It's a conversation that must be carried on regardless of what else is happening, regardless of what epiphanies each of these two characters is experiencing. It's just, you're on the train, you're gonna be on the train until it gets to the destination, regardless of how many times it gets derailed, put back on, et cetera, et cetera. I talked to so many artificial intelligences, so many. Um, you've the, the, the classic ones like, um, Cleverbot. Uh, I use a lot of AI Dungeon as well because I'm a big nerd and I couldn't avoid it. Um, but there were also a couple um, programs that I was kind of led into just sort of test them out, see, see what the waters were like. Mm -hmm. And what, what I got to was essentially the, the previous thing um, that I said, which is they want to carry on the conversation because that's, that's what their job is. That's what they're programmed to do. Um, that actually leads into my next question. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> regarding your research. Yes. A, a playwright, a playwright's, one of a playwright's jobs is to have their finger on the pulse of the human condition. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you write for something that isn't human? Or do you, or do you start from them being human and then work backwards is there is there a difference in how you broach that or um trial error and dissociation are kind of my top three um but a lot of it did come from the research and just kind of learning how to talk like a computer it was it was like learning a new way to structure sentences i kind of came to this scenario where um I had to figure out how to get the most possible amount of information into the smallest possible sentence. I, the way it started is it was just one word back and forth, the entire script. And I was like, how do I nail the arcs? How do I get every single piece of this? And so I essentially, by the end of the first copy of the script, it was just a process, just this large thing that's essentially like status up or new thing revealed, so on and so forth. Just mm. these one words with tons of notes next to them. And then I kind of leaned into figuring out how these two programs worked and what words they would use. And 
the, the, the specificity of what they say, I think. There's a point in the play, and it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's a central line, but it's not really a spoiler. Um, this line, I do not know deceit, is something that I feel kind of came out um, as a, a, a very, very, very particular thing that Martha thinks in the early parts of the play. Um, where it's, of course, she does not know deceit. She has a job, she will do it, and that is all she is capable of. Deceit, impossible. However, that changes. That, that, that changes. And when it does, when she discovers that deceit is something she is capable of, it shifts her vocabulary and she changes her words completely. It's, it's, it's an active rewriting of a passcode. And figuring these out, figuring out these iterations of the characters and what happens when they get new information and new contexts and so on and so forth made, made writing it just honestly a ton of fun. <laughs> like just- Yeah, it's a ton the, of fun to read. Thank you. It's, really? it, and it also like, so, something that has kind of fascinated me about going back and going through the script is it's something that if read unbelievably quickly, it does a completely different thing to you than reading it really slowly. And I tried, well, Dunya and I have tried to kind of capture the essence of both of those things with uh, this teleplay. But the way I, I, I thought about kind of the arc of this play and this, this desperate sort of scramble to the human condition was kind of, um, the metaphor I've been using for a while is sand art. Like, you know, you go to the a carnival or some, a birthday party, I don't know. And you just get like a bottle with layered sand art in it. And it's just yeah. different colors and stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so the, the, the layering uh, in this scenario would be, you have omniscience, this, this access to all information possible at the top. Right under there, you've got like language and context. And then at the bottom, you've got like this pure essence of, I am a person with the brain in my head and I can make these decisions based on that. Um, and we're starting at the bottom and throughout life, we, we, we learn, we develop the context and then we gain information. Mm. These characters start at the absolute top and are trying to do their best to get to the bottom. They've got, they've got all the information ever. The entirety of human knowledge is just on, on tap for them. But it takes them a while to figure out the language and the context. And they're really trying to get to the thing at the bottom. And I think there are a couple points in this play when they absolutely do. When it's like, wait a second, is this a, this doesn't really sound like a compute. And then you, it kind of settles back in. You're just like, oh, okay. So they are carrying on the conversation. Um, and I feel like there's a couple points in this play where if you had a human character, they'd just stop. It's just, I don't want to do this anymore and just leave. Um, but these characters don't have that luxury, sadly. It sounds a little like you're, you're taking it back to basics and acting is essentially making decisions and having tasks that need to be completed. Yes. And these AI, that, that's what's going on. Yeah. But with an actor or with a, char with a character and an actor, mm -hmm. the emotion is what gets in the way and makes it complicated to accomplish their task. Yes. What makes that different? Because an AI doesn't have, an AI doesn't have subtext. Yes. So the language 
it's fascinating reading it. The language is so precise because it has to be. That's mm -hmm. the only way that they can communicate. Exactly. And um, when, when, when I was first kind of broaching the subject and being like, okay, it has to be that specific. There's no other way I can do this. It kind of opened up this other thing for me, which was if I get really specific with it, and that's kind of the uh, mode of operation going into it. If it's like, okay, everything has to be really specific. I can do subtexty things with the text and no one will notice whatsoever unless they look really intensely. Um, Would you say that you want the, the reader, the listener yeah. to draw their own conclusions as to uh, play, maybe do a little bit of um, projecting onto yes. these characters? Well, I think they kind of demand that in a sense. They're, they're, they're very, very, very blank slates um, on the surface level. I mean, they're just, they're just lines of code. Mm. But, and, and I feel like it's super, super, super easy to project on them. And like, for example, the first 10 pages of the play, they're, they're, they're literally warming up. And as you get further in though, they start to become their own thing, really. Um, you get a very specific vocabulary for Martha and a same and a very specific vocabulary for George as well. And the two overlap, yes, but early on, the overlapping is constant. It reads like a stream of consciousness. And then these two kind of separating from each other is kind of the the the, the thing that really gets me every time I go through it. I'm just like, oh wow, yeah. I'm I'm watching two people figure themselves out. Mm. Um in a way that I wish I could have. <laughs> Did it come out of quarantine or was this a project before? Was this something that was cooking for a while? So uh, Dunya and I met uh, by this, through this piece, um, there was a short version of this play, about 10 minutes uh, that went up as part of a play festival for uh, Black Coffee Productions in New York um, just a couple of years ago. And it was really, really short. And we were both kind of in awe after it was over and both really wanted to get back into this universe again. Um, so I wrote a full length of it and um, sent it off and we were both really excited. It wasn't initially written as a teleplay, but I think it super lends itself uh, to being one um, as both a sitting with that language and kind of letting it letting the specificity of things work on you without having to pay attention to something going on in front of you is kind of brings out the poetic nature of the language in a sense, which I think is wonderful. Um, but there's, there's the, there's a definite feeling that at least with, with me, like, I want to see this happen. I want to see what they got. Um, yeah. Cause you can you can you can get very 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 specific with the vocabulary, but the specificity of this piece uh, is one that is like actions on a stage would amp it up even more so. So this is I would say our teleplay is kind of um, pedal at like a maybe eighty degrees to the metal as as opposed to fully flush with the floor of a car. Um, Did you have to make any adjustments? There are uh, a couple 
slight adjustments that we had to make as in um, we have to lean very, very heavily into the sound design for this play for sure as a teleplay. I mean, it's a teleplay. You can't avoid not leaning into the sound design. Um, but even, but, but there are, uh, an, an important piece uh, of this play is that there is a projection screen or a screen on stage at all times. And um, something where we had to wade through was figuring out how to put what's on the screen in the sound file. Mm -hmm. um, like there's a, no spoilers, but a hallway becomes pretty important to the script at some point and walking down said hallway. Um, and figuring out what that means for uh, the, the, the teleplay is this, the specificity of the steps, the hallway that it is. It's, it, and, and we've done some pretty, pretty great stuff with it. And I, I would say accurately conveys kind of the feeling of it. Um, and that's, that's another thing that I think is so rad about this as a teleplay is you have a sound design that perfectly kind of brings up the things that are being said. Mm -hmm. um, so as, I don't know, it becomes very, very, very simple to focus on this kind of stream of consciousness thing that's happening out of two different people. And um, there are moments when all of it kind of twirls together in this one crazy spiraling moment and then kind of resets in a way that I don't think you could get with a stage production that I it's 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 just really cool to see it unfold honestly. it's interesting to see uh uh I don't know if Dunya told you but you know when when we started standby for places we were all at square one we were yeah. all <laughs> learning as we went it was just something like oh you know we'd all like to get into voice acting and we've never had time to do it before so let, let let's do it let's explore a new medium together yeah. and it is so interesting to see and hear the different details that you pick up or details that are lost yeah. when it is just the voice and finding things that you can really lean into that tell the story so much more that might be lost on stage yeah the challenge but also not a challenge whatsoever once we figured out how to do it is get that specificity in get that soul image in there um and we've done that with like bird calls skies i i i could just rattle off the entire list but it's the 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 way it's done is it's really cool we've got some really nice stuff um in the i can't wait to hear um, it. I can't wait to hear the finished product. The, the other thing that we've, uh, this, this isn't a ton of a spoiler, but, um, and I talked about therapy a little bit already. Um, there's sort of a very therapist's office kind of feel to some of this, um, which I think is pretty accurate. George is going through a lot. Um, <laughs> but the idea of a white noise machine was something Dunya and I kind of came up with early on. And the eventual thing we went went into is when a computer's overheating, its fan goes nuts. And that's kind of a, it's kind of a white noisy sound effect. So you get both of those two images with one specific thing. And that, and that's, that's kind of what I tried to do with the text. So it's what we're trying to do with the sound. That's interesting. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Everything has its own way of trying to cool itself down. Exactly. And uh, it's, it's a literal fix for these characters. They just flick on a fan and we're good. Um, I love that you chose George and Martha. 
I, yeah, I can talk that, about that. That's just super funny. <laughs> it's a good time. Well, it, yes, George and Martha Washington, but I named well, him after that. I was thinking George and Martha from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah, there's also, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of George and Marthas. Um, George and Martha Washington, Virginia Woolf, and then the hippos. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> there's there is a there are a ton of George and Marthas out there. It was kind of like if if I am going to create an I am the girl, you are the guy type scenario, what better names to use? And but was that your reasoning in like did that come to you right away or was that something that you had written it and then you went, mm, these are the names? Um it, it kind of came to me right away. It was like if if I'm making a two-character scenario and it's it's and the, the, the genders that have been applied to them by uh, the people who wrote the program, one male, one female, I, I, I couldn't think of a better one. It just had to be that. Um, and They're perfect choices. I mean, what better way to project onto two characters than to have these names yeah, that, that I have... mean, you and I were thinking of entirely different George and Martha's. And they're all right. And they're yeah. all the right, the, the right way to think about them is it's just this, this sort of quintessential push and pull to names, two different genders kind of scenario. The other thing with uh, the, the George and Martha scenario going to the Washingtons is this, this idea of like figureheads um, and be, being like the pillar of uh, an environment or something. This, this idea of these two characters are forging new territory is interesting, but then you go back and you see George and Martha Washington without all of these um, sort of idealistic things painted over them. And you see some really, really, really strange caricatures of people. And that's kind of what George and Martha have kind of move into later in the script is at the start, there are these paragons, these, these kind of ultimate beings. And then they start to figure out that they don't have to be. And then they aren't. And that's okay. And it's a really, 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 really nice progression. Do you have anything that you want people to feel or take away from Deeper Alexandria? I think the thing that's that that happens for me at least every time I read this is I'm kind of encountered with um, sort of a deep a deeper thought about well obviously computers I use frequently every single day um, but even then this 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 idea of um, having a duty uh, and there being importance to that duty you're capable of doing it um, and. This, this question of, am I capable? Am I enough? Am I worth it? Does it matter if your destiny is to be? Um, and these are, these are nebulous, nebulous questions, but that's kind of, that's kind of what the play wants you to lean into. Um, this sort of nebulous thing that you'd rather kind of stuff under a carpet and not think about forever. Um, but just at what point am I enough for the thing that I've set out to accomplish? Um, it's fascinating because these are deeply human experiences that are being played out between two non-humans. Yeah. Well, at, at the end of the day, 
uh, I think the major reason that George and Martha lean in towards humanity is because they're made by people. <laughs> you can't, can't avoid having an artificial intelligence made by a person. At, at, at the end of the day, we're, we're responsible for this. And I feel like, I, I don't know, if, if, if I was an artificial intelligence looking to transcend humanity, I'd feel kind of annoyed that I was made by a person. But if I was an artificial intelligence looking to connect and be a part of the world I happen to be in, then I think that's kind of a blessing <laughs> to have this kind of moat of humanity, regardless of how small in you somewhere. And just all you need to do is connect the right dots and boom, you've got an understanding, I think is... That's a nice thing to think about. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. And I am so excited for you and so thankful that you have trusted our little little engine that could hey, absolutely. To, I, we're, we're really honored. It's very exciting. Emerson, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for April having me. Alexandria premieres on January 27th on Standby for Places, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. To hear more interviews, don't forget to check out our Facebook at facebook.com slash standbyforplaces and follow us on Instagram at standbyforplacespod. In the Green Room comes out every Friday once a show concludes. If you want to learn more about the actors, writers, and directors, or want to donate, check out our website at standbyforplaces.org.